Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Jay Matthews. He is one of the most prominent education journalists in the country and has been actually for, for a few decades now. Uh, I won't say too much about his biography. He may do a little of that in our discussion. He had an article in Education Next recently entitled, What I Learned in 23 Years Ranking America's Most Challenging High Schools. And that is our topic today. Welcome, Jay. Hi, Mark. Thank you. All right. Well, first, uh, uh, we have the Challenge Index rankings. Uh, tell us how that began. Was this all your idea? Yeah, it was, and um, it came from very journalistic um, interests and uh, and a background. Uh, it was essentially I was deeply influenced by writing two books in the in the 1980s and 1990s about two different high schools. One was Garfield High School in uh, East Los Angeles, a very poor uh, ghetto high school that had produced some of the best uh, teachers um, teaching AP I'd ever seen. And they, in one year, that school produced, uh, f- uh, I think it was uh, uh, 26% of all the Mexican-Americans in the United States of America who passed an AP calculus exam. And so that w- had a big effect on changed my life, actually. That's what made me an education reporter. Tw- tw- wait, wait, wait. One high school yep. had 26%. Wow. Okay. Now, we, a lot of people know about it because they made a movie about Jaime Escalante, the teacher who made a lot of this happen. That's, 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 a, yeah, yeah, that, that's a good movie. It's a good movie. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a terrific movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the other high school was a very different high school, um, Mamaroneck High School in, uh, in a very wealthy part of Westchester County, north of New York. Uh, and that school produced lots of kids going on to great colleges, had very few poor kids, unlike Garfield, but it was restricting access to its AP uh, courses. There were lots of kids at that school who would have gotten into AP courses at Garfield easy, and they were told, no, you had a B- in, um, in geography uh, in your sophomore year, so you cannot take U.S. history AP, which was nuts. So I... I looked at those two books and decided I've got to find some way to help people figure out what are the great schools in poor circumstances like uh, like um, Garfield and what are the mediocre schools in great circumstances like Marinick. And so I came up with this idea. Uh, I, I was I was briefly the Wall Street reporter of the Washington Post. Not a not a job I asked for, but it was what they had for me in New York. My wife had gotten a great. Uh, job in New York, so we had to be in New York, so I had to cover business, and I spent a lot of time with the Dow Jones averages, and it occurred to me I could do something like that, a simple average uh, that would d- define schools in, in interesting ways and allow me to rank them, as the Dow Jones does. 
Uh, and since I'd spent all this time looking at AP, it occurred to me, uh, and I didn't want to rate schools based on test scores because the poor schools would always lose to the rich schools on test scores because their parents were wealthier and test scores correlate with, with wealth. So I decided to, since I had a school like Garfield in a poor neighborhood that had lots of kids taking AP, I said, okay, I'm going to count the number of AP tests each year uh, at each school and divide by the number of graduating seniors. And that way I could, uh, I, a small school that only graduated 20 kids would have no disadvantage over a big school that graduated 120 kids. Um, so I did that arithmetic, just total number of AP tests, total number of uh, grad, grad, divided by the total number of graduates, and came to the conclusion that if a school uh, had a ratio of one, at least as many AP tests, and I also counted IB tests, as it had at least as many tests as it had graduating seniors, it was going to be in the very near the top of the country. There was almost no schools that reached that level of having as much as many AP as or IB tests as they had graduating seniors. So I produced this thing called the Challenge Index, and I confess I did it because I had written a book about Mimarinek, uh that focused a lot on AP, and I wanted to sell the book. And I knew that um, newspaper editors loved ranked lists. And if I had a ranked list to offer along with this book I was written, I'd get publicity for the book. So uh, the book didn't do that well, but the, the ranked list became you know, very popular. Newsweek put it on its front page uh, the first time it did it in, in 1998. And then they did it two years after that. And then a couple of years after that, they said, let's do it every year because they were getting lots of interest. Lots of page views. So that's what I, that's how I started doing it, and I've been doing it now for 23 years, and I realize it has lots of advantages. It takes you away from rating schools by wealth or by test scores, and it focuses on, on what I think is the most um, important and beneficial reform in high school education in the last 30 years, which is the rise of advanced placement and international baccalaureate, which are distinguished as courses by the fact that they are a college level, so if you do if you do well on one of them, you can get college credit for it. B, they are uh, they end with a final exam that's very hard, uh, three to five five hours long, and most importantly, that final exam is not graded by your teacher. Your teacher didn't write that exam. The exam goes off to independent uh, experts, usually uh, AP teachers or college professors who sit down in big grading sessions around the country and not knowing the school, not knowing the student, looks at the exam and gives a very independent grade. So usually, as you know, in high schools, there's, there's, there's a dumbing down factor. Um, you have a teacher who wants to really challenge kids, so she gives them, gives them lots of card exams and tough papers and, and gives the kid who doesn't work very hard on that a C or a D. And the complaints come flowing in. Parents say, you can't do that. He worked so hard, but just because he didn't do well. And the principal will come in and try to get the teacher to, you know, give up, up a little, get, get the grade a little higher. Uh, that produces a, an atmosphere in most high schools where, you know, hard work um, is not respected and is not uh, backed up. Uh, you don't want to give kids too hard a thing, and you don't want to grade them too harshly. Otherwise, you'll get complaints. Whereas if you're dealing with AP or IB, you don't grade those exams, and the grades come back. They come back, thankfully, after the term is over, after the report cards are sent out, so you don't use them to rate report cards. That would be really troublesome. But they do allow you to show without prejudice how well, how much that kid learned in that, in that course. And so I thought 
measuring schools by how many AP and IB exams they give and is a great way of measuring which schools are trying their hardest to challenge as many kids as possible. Yeah, I, I did a, a, an evaluation of IB. I was, I was on a couple of us with Sheila Bird put together a, a team and I, I evaluated the IB diploma program, the, the literature strand. And one thing that, that stunned me was that final paper, the major project was not graded by the teacher. These long research papers went out to a, a faraway uh, 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 site graded by other people. And I, I, I gave high marks to that process because in a way it takes the pressure off the teacher. Right. Uh, who, who, well, you know, on the contrary, I think it puts more pressure on the teacher. The teacher no, no longer controls what the grades they're getting on this exam, um, which means they ha if they want to maintain their reputation, they're going to have to make sure every kid in that AP course is working hard and getting ready for that difficult exam because when the grades come back, the kids won't see a, a, uh, a, you know, a, an inflated grade, but the principal will uh, if, if they've uh, given uh, you know, a, A's and B's to one class uh, in AP U.S. history and uh, the grades from the college board come back twos and ones, which are equivalent D's and F's, uh, then the, the teacher has much to explain. He has been, not been teaching the course up to the level of AP. So that, I think, is pressure. I think the, the grading factor, that that teacher doesn't feel the pressure to yeah, inflate. You can't. Uh, so, and that, that's all a good thing. Now, uh, one thing, you've got such a simple rating system, and you know, education researchers are always saying, no, we need 50 different variables uh, in, in education studies. You, you just scrapped all that and said, no, no, we, we, we've got a couple variables, and that's it. How did the professional educators, researchers, respond to your index? Uh, the, the best piece ever written about the Challenge Index was written by two, two uh, education experts um, who I knew quite well and admired their work. And they wrote a piece in for one of the, the think tanks in Washington, and the think tank let me put my response into the same publication. They were saying, well, the problem with Matthews's index is that a lot of schools that rate highly uh, have a lot of kids who uh, uh, have low test scores and tend to drop out. Uh, and any school that we're going to rate highly in America should be rated by all kinds of, as you just said, all kinds of measures, including um, dropout rates, um, and uh, average test scores, uh, uh, the the, the um, knowledge gap, the score test gap, all these things that experts like. And my response to that is, well, you know, that's fine. But uh, what you're saying is that the schools I've discovered, like Garfield, uh, that have lots of kids taking AP and are doing wonderful things in challenging kids from low-income neighborhoods, are never going to look good on your list because they're always, they're poor kids, they're always going to have relatively low test scores, uh, they're always going to have big dropout rates. Uh, and I went on to say, if you can find me a school, a low-income school, that doesn't have low test scores and doesn't have high dropout rates, then I will take a look at that school and figure out how to rate it. But the way you, you, the way you want to do this, schools that I think are doing wonderful work like Garfield are always going to lose your game, whereas I am telling um, readers something that you don't, never tell them, which they're, when you look at similar schools, some of them really do try hard to challenge kids, and they do well, and they have lots of kids participating in AP and IB. And some schools, many schools don't. A lot of, you know, schools in wealthy communities say, uh, 
you know, AP is only for our best students, only our A, maybe our B students. We're not going to let our C students take AP. When I learned at Garfield, it's the C students who can make the most out of that experience with a college-level course. They're all going to go to – the C students are still going to try college, and they're much better prepared for college if they have an AP course or an IB course than if they don't. Right, right. Uh, did did your work, uh, especially highlighting Garfield, uh, produce a lot of imitators of Garfield, uh, or was it just you're not gonna you're not gonna replicate Jaime Escalante? Well, no, no, no. Garfield is a very special special case. Uh, that guy, and particularly that movie, revolutionized the AP program in America. I, I did my best to help in that regard, but there are a lot more schools giving ki kids a lot more AP tests now than there were. They, they, it, it, it's a slow growth. In, in the first year I did the Challenge Index, only 1% of American high schools reached my level of having at least as many AP or IB exams as they had graduating seniors. Now that has gone up in 23 years to 12% of American high schools reach that level. That's That's a big improvement, although the majority of high schools still do not challenge the kids the way that I think they ought to. If you could get on my list, that is the way I describe it, if you had just half of your seniors and half of your juniors uh, take one AP exam, uh, that would get you up to uh, a 1.0, and you'd be on my list. You'd be in the top 12%. Um, I, I think there are lots of schools could, that could get up to that level, but gradually you have to push them because, again, for all the pressures, uh, that high schools have. They don't really want to challenge kids. It's too hard. Yeah. Uh, did you ever break down the findings into specific AP subjects? And, and it, Or if someone did do that, what do you think that might tell us? Uh, that's interesting. I have not. Uh, I, I do just by, um, uh, you know, scuttlebutt. Uh, AP teachers who want to get kids into AP and don't want to push them too hard will recommend particularly to girls that they take AP psychology. Um, it's, it's interesting, particularly to girls, they say, and they will work on it, sort of fix something that they're really interested in that age. Um, whereas AP calculus, uh, AP physics are very difficult. And uh, the fact that Jaime Escalante had all these Mexican-American kids in AP uh, uh, calculus just added to my admiration for him and to the excitement that he created. People who saw that movie, teachers who saw that movie, uh, adopted what he was doing, and it spread. The the the, the word spread very quickly. That, uh, and this is a, the important part of this: you can take low-income kids and give them really hard AP courses. And the second lesson, very important: they may not pass the exam, um, but they're going to be much better off when they go to college than if you do not give them that challenging experience. So that is spread for all kinds of low-income communities. We have lots more kids in low-income communities taking AP and IB, which is all to the good. Even though those kids don't pass, uh, they still learn a lot. And that's one reason why, in putting my list together, I don't count exams whether they pass or not. I only count if the kid took the exam, because I think that's the best measure of how hard the, hard, the school is working to challenge those kids. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry. 
as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at dallas.edu. You have a chart on page 19 showing that every school in the top 20 in year 2020 was a charter school or a magnet school. Certainly wasn't the case in 1998. Uh, nope. what, what should we conclude from that? I mean, I thought that uh, I was happy to have a chance to, at, at next to sort of do that analysis. I knew about it, but it, I could actually write about it. Um, in, the, in 1998, the first year I did the Challenge Index, almost all the schools in the top 20 were uh, uh, nice suburban schools in wealthy neighborhoods. They had kids who were all going off to great colleges. And that was a natural place to find lots of AP because those are the kids who were going to college that sort of cared about AP and wanted to see how they were doing. When I looked again, you know, 20 years later, uh, those schools were all gone. But none of them were in the top 20. The top 20 had been overtaken by charter schools, in particular two charter systems that are very different but very interesting. One is the IDEA charter schools, which are in, started in the Rio Grande Valley in Texas and have now spread a little further into the southwest. Almost all Mexican-American kids, almost all low-income, uh, they were started 20 years ago by two Teach for America teachers who thought that the kids they were teaching in the, San, in the Rio Grande Valley uh, were much better than the kind of courses they were giving, and they, just, they on them, their own decided, we're going to start our own charter schools, and we're going to raise the level, and we're going to have these kids take AP. Uh, and they got to a point, they, were, you know, they proved that great teaching produced much more learning from such kids, and they got to the point where they said, not only are we going to let them take AP, we're going to require that they take AP courses before they graduate. And that produced in the the idea schools, and there are you know half dozen of them in the top twenty, um, uh, a sense that low income kids do a lot. And I love that lesson because it's one of the prime lessons of my reporting the last forty years. But there was another charter uh, group in that who also had a lot of schools on my top twenty list, and they were they had the same philosophy: we've got to get as many kids as possible into AP. Um, uh, or IB, but they were. This, these are the um, the basis schools. Basis started very differently uh, in 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 Arizona, Arizona, because two uh, economists. These were not kids in in Teach for America. There's a married couple. One of, one of them was a professor at University of Arizona. One of them had come from Czechoslovakia, where she had been an economics professor. They just gotten married. The the wife had a daughter she was bringing with her, um, a sixth grader, to Arizona. And the, the wife who was Czechoslovakian thought, well, you know, uh, I'm sure the American schools are great. You know, she, she homeschooled the kid based on uh, some books they had found that were very high level. But when they, the kid actually started to take uh, courses at a middle school in Scottsdale, a very you know, wealthy part of Arizona, the, these two people thought that the lessons were, were terrible. <laughs> The, the professor, these are Michael and Olga Block. Professor Block thought that the kid spent a whole term on, you know, studying the whale. He thought that was a big waste of time. Uh, and they, they said to themselves, well, we can't have a school like that for our, our daughter. So they started their own charter school uh, and made the standards very high. Um, uh, they required kids to um, pass certain exams at the end or they would not graduate to the next grade. And they discovered AP and, and came back to my came to my office in Alexandria and, uh, you know, about three years in said, well, we're using your list now and we're making sure every kid takes AP. In fact, we're making sure all our kids can take seven or eight APs. And I, 
I thought they were a very nice couple, but I said, <laughs> well, I, I, tell me how this works out. I just don't see how this is going to happen. But and they made it work. They showed that um, uh, kids, particularly some families, wanted their kids to be challenged in that way. Uh, they, however, uh, are in Arizona. They're, they weren't drawing a lot of Mexican, poor Mexican-American kids. They were drawing a lot of middle-class and upper-class kids whose parents were really interested in having their kids uh, be taught at the highest level of challenge. And so those school that the 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 um, idea schools in Texas that I was talking about, almost all those kids are are low income. The kids in the basis schools in Arizona, and now they've moved to Texas and New Mexico and other places. Almost all the kids in the basis schools are middle class, uh, and a lot of middle class hmm. people are, are are frightened to frightened of even in, enrolling there because the the work at the basis schools is so hard. Yeah. Uh... Another question, why did independent school associations urge their members not to cooperate with you? Uh, because <laughs> they're businesses. Uh, they hate the idea of being compared to their competitors. Uh, and since they're private schools, they didn't have to give me their data. All the public schools had to under the rules. You know, I could file a freedom of information request, and they had to tell me uh, how much numbers they were coming out of the AP program. But the private schools didn't have to do that. Um, and they didn't want to, to – in fact, my, my, my daughter graduated from, from Sidwell Friends, one of the most prestigious private schools uh, in America, and I think one of the worst in terms of policy towards AP. They have refused to give anybody their AP numbers. They don't show it to their parents or students. So uh, they've never been on my list because I have no data from them. But I, as I – pursued this and the list became more widespread and popular a lot of private schools you know called me up and said yeah we'd like to give you our numbers because they realized uh it was good publicity and a lot of them weren't as well known as Sidwell friends and if they could pr show their their uh, prospective students and their parents that they were in the top 10 percent of american high schools that was a big deal for them so eventually i've got lots of private schools on the list now uh but the the competitive part of this uh, is a problem. And also, uh, I'm afraid some of those very prominent schools lie to each other about the value uh, of their courses and about what AP means to schools. But one of the most outrageous things that happened to me in the last three years is that three of the most prominent private schools in the Washington area, including Sidwell Friends, announced with great hurrah that they were going to drop their AP classes. They've been having them for you know several decades because um, wealthy parents wanted to see AP. They say we're going to give them something the equivalent, but we're not going to be uh, we're not going to be controlled by this uh, organization, the College Board. And then they said, in a sentence that will live in infamy in my heart, they said, in any way, everyone knows that college is nothing like AP. Uh, that AP is nothing but memorizing facts, whereas college work is much broader and clearer and, and full of thought and and uh, and uh, analysis which was completely a uh, complete lie. Um, you know, the, the, I explained it in a follow-up piece. AP courses are based on introductory college courses. Uh, you, have, you know, Jay, I, I, 10 years ago, I, I, I chaired the English commission, commission for the College Board reviewing AP English Language and Literature. They had a, a second committee to do English Language and Composition. But the very first premise was you are to review this course in a way such that it aligns with a freshman-level course at a top university, period. Right. And so why these guys, the, the, the 
eight head headmasters who signed this piece in the Washington Post saying AP is nothing like college did that. I don't yet know. I, I wrote to each of them and said, well, I'm going to write another piece and say you guys are liars. Uh, what do you have to say for yourself? None of them responded. Uh, I managed to talk to their public relations representative who led me to believe that uh, they didn't want to get into a fight with me because they knew that they were wrong. They, they were they were using a, a language that you hear a lot in, in fancy private schools. Well, you know, uh, our courses are just deeper than AP, uh, which is complete nonsense. But they decided to grab that as part of their headline, and, re- and then they lacked the courage to get back to me and explain why they were wrong or try to explain why they thought they were right. Now, I imagine College Board loves you. Uh, I'm, I'm, well, the, uh, I have two tracks on the College Board. Uh, and have for a long time. Uh, the, the AP people um, certainly like what I've been writing, and I, because I think they're doing great work for America. The SAT people aren't that happy because I've long been a critic of the SAT. I don't think the SAT is a great help, and I'm not that unhappy that it's now going out of fashion. So I, I win points from one side of uh, their fancy building in New York, and, and I don't win points from the other side. Oh, okay, the list was a hit right off. And right. you you were you were a little surprised. I remember when when Very. it started coming out, and it it sort of became sort of a, an annual education story. Why do you think it was just so doggone popular? Was it the simplicity of it? Uh, well, a couple of reasons. One, we weren't giving people useful information about high schools. You may you may argue about how useful are the college rankings that we get uh, from places like U.S. News will report, but at least it was, there were some numbers there that they could feed on. You were getting almost nothing uh, in a comparative way on high schools, and a lot of people these days um, are looking for high schools in the same way they look for colleges. They want something that's really challenging for their kid, that fits into what their kid is interested in, and they also want to know how uh, the schools in some one district compare to the schools in another district, which is another thing they use comparisons for, and I was giving them that. Uh, and I think they liked the fact that they could look at the numbers and, and think about them and make their own decision based on real numbers rather than just guess based on um, uh, what, the call, what the high schools told them. A lot of high schools, particularly private ones, say, well, you can't really – number just isn't going to help you. You can't really understand our college until you come and visit and sit in and admire our lawns and our sweeping fields. That's right. That's right. Uh, Jay, why did you leave Newsweek? Oh, well, I, I didn't really leave Newsweek. I was only temporarily at Newsweek. I, I've worked for the Washington Post for a long time. I don't want to say how long because I don't want anyone to think that I'm really past it and should be going out to, to pasture. Uh, but I had been the, the L.A. bureau chief, and my wife had been an editor for the L.A. Times, and she got um, uh, asked to become uh, the senior producer for foreign news at ABC World News Tonight. She's working for Peter Jennings. a big job. She wanted to go to New York, and I said, okay, let's go. Uh, but New York, the, the, all the new Washington Post jobs in New York were filled, uh, and, um, and I, had, uh, uh, I had no place uh, to go. But the, then one job opened up. One job in New York with the Washington Post opened up was covering Wall Street. So I said, yeah, I can do that. I like reporting, and I thought it was intriguing to try a kind of reporting I've never done before. So uh, I, I, in the course of doing my job at the Washington, I was a full daytime reporter at the Washington Post all the time I was in New York. But when I came up with this book, and, uh, and I thought Newsweek, 
since it's competing with U.S. News and World Report, might like to run a list of ranked list of high schools, so just like the U.S. News ran a ranked list of colleges. So I went to the Newsweek people, where I, where I had worked for about nine months when I made the transition. They just gave me a, a job there because, as you know, Newsweek then was part of the Washington Post company. So I knew those people, and they liked the idea, so they put it up on their on their front page in 1998 and it got such a reaction and page views that they did it again two years later and then they had had to be an annual feature i i had made friends with a lot of those editors and they they understood i think what i was going for and uh had, were smart enough to to answer those people who said well you just can't rank schools that way it doesn't make any sense uh what is the future of the of the index do you think oh well i had to the I was writing this book uh, that came out, and the, what Education Next was writing about. I can give you the title, An Optimist Guide to American Public Education, which has come out this year, which I think is sort of a summary of all I've learned about AP, about charter schools, about uh, the best kind of teaching. Uh, and um, uh, I've, it, the, the 2020 um, Challenge Index results are in the back, but uh, as I, since I had to write the book, I said to myself, well, I'm only going to rate 200 schools this year um, because I won't have enough time to do more than that. And then the, the pandemic hit, and I realized I wouldn't have had time to do it if, if I had wanted to do more. So just 300 schools uh, in the 2020 list. In the 2021 list, there is no 2021 list because the data from 2020, which I would have used, totally messed up my pandemic. So uh, I'm qu coming back to the list gingerly. I'm, I'm collecting data now for what will be the top tw 300 schools based on 2021 data, and I will make th that will be the top 300 list that I will bring out in 2022, and then I plan in 2023 to go back to a full list, uh, all schools above the 1.00 ratio. That's usually about 2,500 schools, and maybe it'll be more. I'm 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 sensing that the pandemic has not ruined IB and AP. Uh, those programs are holding firm. Uh, IB didn't have exams in in 2020, but AP did, and and uh, I think all are going to be back in good shape when I have a new full list in 2023. Very good. Uh, the article appeared in Education Next. It's called What I Learned in 23 Years Ranking America's Most Challenging Schools. Jay Matthews, thank you for joining us. You're welcome, Mark. This is a pleasure. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877 332 2930.